right, all right. If Patrick Hornquist was too slow to fit in with the Mike Sullivan system, and the Penguins are now some faster and fresher team without him, and I'm not necessarily going to argue against that, then how will they replace the things that everyone would agree he was doing well for them, and he was doing at a level that no one else can do for them. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. This is the Daily Shot on Penguins. For several months, I've been doing a Daily Shot podcast every weekday morning that kind of lumped in Steelers, Penguins, and Pirates favoring the team that was in season, obviously, and I really just wanted to branch out and do one on each team. And I feel a whole lot more comfortable like this. I hope you enjoy whichever show you happen to prefer based on that team, or if you listen to all three, that'd be awesome too. Patrick Hornquist is slash was elite at what he does. That was the term that Mike Sullivan used with me in a conversation he and I had about two years ago after a game that Hornquist just dominated and exasperated the opponent that night. You're going to ask me which one. I don't remember. He's done it a lot, so it doesn't really matter all that much. They spent the other team, according to Sullivan and what he told me, most of the game barking at Hornquist, yelling at him, threatening him. They were so focused on him, they were so rattled, that they wasted almost no other energy on anyone else on the team. And in the process, not only did Hornquist have all those guys distracted, the other team's goaltenders distracted, he also scored a couple of goals. <laughs> that was the thing about Hornquist was he wasn't just the agitator. He was also finishing plays. Sullivan's description of him is one that I won't forget. He used the term elite. He said, you know the way we can look at, at, at Sid and Gino and say they're elite at the things that, that matter the most in the game? Hornquist according to Sullivan, was the very best at what he does in the NHL. There's no one better than him. Before him, it was another Swede, of course, Thomas Holmstrom of the Red Wings. It is really, really rare, as you can tell from my citing two guys whose careers barely overlapped as examples, to find these types of players who are willing, not willing, eager to take that kind of punishment to go to the front of the net to raise that kind of hell so that your teammates can score, but also so that you can score. Holmstrom used to score too. Hornquist was good for about, over the course of his career, around 20 goals. That would be terrific even if he didn't bring all the other stuff. So... 
how do they replace that? I mean, it's easy to say, well, you know, he was a slow guy. He was slowing down. He wasn't, you know, a guy that you'd want on your top six because he couldn't keep up. And you're paying him $6 million to be on the third line or the fourth line and all this other stuff. Okay, fine. He's gone. What do you do to replace him? This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Their mission is feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region. One dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. And at a time like this in our society, that goes an awfully long way. One dollar gets five meals. Find out more about this at their website, growsharethrive.org. Give it to you again, growsharethrive.org. The first thing you can do when you're talking about replacing Hornquist, I guess this is the easy, lazy kind of way to do this, is who's going to replace him in front of the net on the power play? I don't see this as that vexing. And again, I'm saying this with immense respect to Hornquist. Because if you watched carefully, when the Penguins were doing well, on the power play, it wasn't because one player went there. It's because more than one player went there, and that's how Sullivan likes it. He would never just send Hornquist there. That was never the diagram. It was always get bodies there, plural, get bodies there. Who would go? Everyone. Everyone. Uh, Sid is one of the most dangerous net front guys in his own way, even though he's usually popping off to that right side because of his ability to redirect, to cash in on rebounds, even if they're up in the air. Sid can do anything like that. Goaltenders hate guys like that, having them around. Uh, we've seen Gino crash. He has to be in a mood, but he'll crash too. Jake Gensel is actually a very good net front guy that I'm not sure that you'd want to have there on a regular basis, meaning Hornquist style. You don't want him going there and just getting pounded and cross-checked because he's not a bigger guy. And we have seen that he will get hurt. That's not a knock. It's not a criticism. It's not a cheap shot. It's just the fact. He's not a bigger guy. And when he does get hit with authority or illegally, there's a really good chance he's going to feel it more than some bigger dude will. I don't want 40 goals out of my lineup just so that you can have somebody screening the goaltender. So how do you address it? How do you address it? The simple solution, and I'm going to guess this is the one that Sullivan will adopt, is to make clear to everybody on the ice that they've got to replace Hornquist as an assembly. They've all got to pounce when the puck is loose there. But you're going to see puck movement aimed at generating point shots. That's the way Sullivan prefers his power play. And I think just as pertinent going into this season, whenever this season actually starts, that's the way Todd Reardon has preferred to have his power plays operate. And remember, that's why Reardon was brought here after losing his job in Washington. He was brought here partly to coach up uh, the defense that's an area of expertise, but so is the power play. Uh, Jim Rutherford made that very, very clear in bringing Reardon on. 
if you think about the Capitals' power play, obviously the first thing you think of is Alexander Ovechkin shooting from the left circle. But I think just as much, or almost as much, I should say, of John Carlson just firing relentlessly from the right point. Uh, they've used Dmitry Orlov on the left points. Uh, they've used, uh, before that, when Matt Niskanen was there. These guys weren't overthinking things on the Capitals' points. They were gripping and ripping. There was nothing else to it. I mean, occasionally you'd see them work some kind of seam, especially Carlson. I mean, he's just so good at everything. You know, and feeding the puck to Ovechkin or Kuznetsov or however that would work with, you know, uh, box-splitting passes. But for the most part, they're not that complicated. The Penguins feel like they have point men who can work within a system like that, notably Latang. Latang has to shoot. Latang has to get his puck through, which he doesn't do all that effectively, meaning getting it through traffic. And he has to not miss the net when he does. From there, you're going to have a lot of puck retrieval issues. You're going to have... Uh, Gensel, I believe, more than anybody, to a lesser extent, Sid and Gino, put into roles where they have to go chasing the puck around and make sure that they collect it. You might see Jason Zucker, uh, Brian Rust also put into positions like that. But there isn't going to be a snap your finger and, hey, this is the guy who's replacing Hornquist. That player does not exist. It doesn't exist on any roster other than that of the Florida Panthers. There's one of those guys. And the Penguins are going to have a hard time replacing him. If you thought I was headed towards some sort of magical solution here, I assure you that I was not. (laughs) It was never an intention here. I'm trying to point out, in fact, how tough this is going to be. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Taylor Haas to talk about the Penguins' prospects. Welcome back. Joined by Taylor Haas, hockey writer at DK Pittsburgh Sports. And hi, Taylor. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> All right. Um, you know, between me and you and Dave Molinari, we have had the hardest time coming up with things to talk about, write about, whatever, as it relates to hockey. Because it's just been so quiet. Like, how have you done it? Like, what what is even going through your head when you think about hockey? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing happening other than, you know, like prospects playing in Europe. I mean, uh, the last interview I did was calling, you know, Cal Klang in, in, in Sweden, the goalie prospect they drafted in the third round. Uh, other than that, not a whole lot to talk about. Well, well okay, so we'll just talk about that then. Because, yeah. you know, I think it's been forgotten in hockey in particular that the prospects – are now about to just be left like out to dry if you think about it. No, we just went through an entire baseball season in which all of the minor leagues were shut down. All these players lost a year of development, of maturation. Watching videos doesn't cut it. Going to a batting cage doesn't cut it. Hockey, of course, was in a different boat. They did lose 
March and April, they lost some minor league playoffs and so forth. But now here we are for the first time with no nothing anywhere. Um, what are they doing? Where are they? I know some did go back to Europe. Yeah, well, I mean, all of the European players are able to play. They're they're playing, um, you know, I mean, Sweden, Finland, um, Slovenia, they're all playing. Uh, where the, the guys this really hurts is... I mean, really, the American guys, I mean, because, you know, the Canadian major juniors, they're playing too. But, I mean, the guys that are you know, just out fresh out of college or the ones that have already turned pro, they really don't have uh, many places to play. Now, two of the guys they signed who, who will be turning pro, um, Camley and Drew O'Connor, they have been loaned to European teams. And, um, I mean, really, all, all the North American guys do have that option. It's just a matter of if, if they want to to play uh, in Europe and um, if they can find a team. Uh, but the, the, I mean, the trouble is for those guys, you know, those, the good, the good European leagues like Finland and Sweden, they have import limits. So I was going to say, it's not easy. You can't just snap your finger and say, Hey, I'm on your team. Uh, they, they don't, they don't want North Americans coming over and taking their roster spots. Yeah, so that's why, like, like Drew O'Connor, he got uh, loaned to a, a Norwegian team. Uh, Kim Lee's playing in Slovakia. So um, it's really those, like, you know, low-level leagues in Europe where um, they're okay with having those those imported players and letting them leave uh, mid-season um, if when the AHL season restarts. Yeah, th- this is this is going to be a, a tricky aspect. Never mind. Um, travel restrictions and everything else that goes into it. How much can the Penguins or even are the Penguins communicating with these guys that you've spoken with, whether it's, uh, you mentioned Kali Klang, uh, Jan Drozd, I know you've been in touch with in Slovenia. Uh, How much are they communicating with anybody back here from the Penguins? Because again, I'm focusing on development, on becoming a Pittsburgh Penguin. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not sure about you know all of all of the prospects. I know the goalies though, in particular. Um, it sounds like Andy Kyoto talks with them every week, mm-hmm. which is is something he did um, during the season. Even you know if they weren't um, like like when you know Dorio is in you know wheeling, he's still talking to him every week, reviewing film with him um, virtually, and he's he, uh, he's been doing that with with the goalie prospects now. I mean, I told you I just talked to Klung, and he told me. Um, he's in regular contact with Kyoto and Kyoto, um, you know, talks with uh, the, you know, his uh, goalie coach in, in Sweden. So um, they do have, you know, three goalies playing in Europe right now who, um, you know, he, he's Kyoto is doing that with in, in Blomquist, Klung and, and Larmy. Um, and for, for those of you who are listeners who are longtime fans of the Penguins and you're wondering if she's talking about the Andy Kyoto. She is. Andy was part of the, uh, the Rico Fata teams. For those of you who go back to that unfortunate era of Penguins hockey, Andy is now the Penguins goaltending development coach. And he is that across all levels, except one that would be at the NHL level where it's still Mike Buckley. Yeah. I mean, Kyoto, he, he, you know, keeps in contact with the goalie prospects currently in the system, but he, he does, you know, scouting too. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. um, he found, he, you know, was a big part of bringing in Larmy, uh, when they signed him as an, uh, unrestricted free agent last summer. Um, he had been watching him in Finland and, and he's really familiar with, um, you know, those European goalies and, you know, the, the kind of system that they play in over there because I mean, Kyoto did, did play there himself. Um, 
and and he talked about that at a development camp how you know he really likes you know those european guys just because of you know how mature they are um and just how because you know they're playing against grown men over there now i'd be remiss if bringing up uh, a development during the pandemic question and not targeting specifically samuel poulin uh, i know you're following closely what he's doing in the quebec league um i also know that that league is about five notches below <laughs> where he should be playing at this point in his life um what is the best way to describe his progress or is that even possible where he's currently playing? Yeah. I mean, it's really tough because like you said, he's, he's too good for that league and he's on um, a really dominant team. I mean, the, so like the, QMJHL, OHL, WHL, they didn't get to finish their seasons last year, but mm-hmm. really all through the year, um, Sherbrooke was at the top of the power rankings for all three of those CHL leagues. So, I mean, um, he, he was just really on a, on a powerhouse and, you know, surrounded by um, a great supporting cast. And I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you other than he's, he's doing really well. I mean, you look at his stats and um, I mean, he's just dominating and that's why he's at the, the Canadian World Junior Selection Camp right now. Now, see, that'll that'll be something, right? I mean, that's that's when you want to see him shine. When you get those players into those world junior settings, uh, especially as competitive, as increasingly competitive as that tournament has become, whereas it used to be a, you know, a, a Canadian walk. Uh, now it's, you know, you've got Sweden, Finland, the United States, Russia right there every single year. Let's see Samuel Poulin rise up in that atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, if and the Canadian team that it, it's really stacked at four this year. I mean, he's um, he'll probably make the team, but even he is not a lock for for that. Uh, wow, for, seriously? Yeah, yeah I mean, he, most projected rosters have him on there as kind of like a um, a, a third line role. Um, but I mean, it's it's a really stacked team, and I mean, I've been reading, uh, you know, what. Uh, I mean, so the camp is on hold right now because they had their own uh, coronavirus problems. But before that, just uh, like looking at uh, like 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 Hendricks uh, Lapierre, who who the Caps took in the first round this year, and he talked about how great Poulin is and kind of that that grinder role. And um, so I mean, that's that's the kind of role he'll be playing if when you know he makes the Canadian World Junior roster. Boy, that kid's got Mike Sullivan hockey written all over him, doesn't he? You yeah. Know? Everything about him, speed, scoring, but he also wins the puck battles on the Plays boards. the right way. Plays hockey the right way. <laughs> uh, you can read Taylor Haas's coverage of the Penguins, the prospects, the entire system on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. When we come back, just one question. At Point Park University, in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org. 
Welcome back. Our final segment is called Just One Question. Cleverly enough, because it involves just one question. If you want to submit just one question, you can do that via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, right here on our DK Pittsburgh Sports app, anywhere. I I check all those things. I'll find it. Trust me. Today's question comes from Will, and it's a little layered, but I have a feeling the answer won't be. After glancing at it, Will asks, this question pertains to the forward lines. Do you think the third line this year will be better than the past two years? And if not, do you think our top two lines will be able to make up for our bottom six? The reason that I say this might be a little simpler than Will's question will sound is that I'm tired of referring to the Teddy Bluger line as the fourth line. It's it's not, okay? It's the third line. Um, regardless of where Mike Sullivan writes it up on the chalkboard, uh, that's something that we've seen teams do kind of as a cute thing over the years. The Islanders most recently have been the ones with the Casey Sezikis line uh, referring to it as the best fourth line in hockey. Best fourth line in hockey. It makes you sound like you've got a better, deeper team by having a really effective, consistent fourth line. Uh, the Sezikis line wasn't the Islanders' fourth line. The Bluger line wasn't the Penguins' fourth line. They were way more effective than that. They were used way more than that. I mean, really, when you get down to measuring these things, what really matters is your five-on-five ice time. So, to me, the trick answer to your question is that the third line will be the same as it was last year because I considered the Bluger line to be that. Now, to your broader thing about the top two lines making up for the bottom six, kind of reading your mind here, it sounds like you're just down in general on the bottom six. Um, I, I guess I can understand that because a lot of imagery that's in fans' heads around here still harkens back to HBK. We all want to see a third line that can jump onto the rink and score goals the way Kessel, Benino, and Hagelin could, especially Kessel. Uh, Those don't happen very often. There aren't many third legit scoring lines in hockey. So what you're looking at instead if you presume that Bluger, Tanev, and Aston Reese, once once Sack is healed up, aren't going to be that line that gets you a whole lot of five-on-five offense, what are you looking at after that? The fourth line will be Jared McCann, Evan Rodriguez, Mark Jankowski, and, you know, Sam Lafferty, um, you know, other options that are in there depending on injuries and depth and so forth. Um, it's not super exciting, but I I make this point an awful lot, and I apologize to those of you who hear me make it an awful lot, and that's that your fourth line in the NHL is basically a storage unit for penalty killers. Uh, it's nice if they can contribute five-on-five, but Mike Sullivan has told me himself 
that when he makes up his lineup and he's making the third or fourth lines, uh, regardless of which order he stacks them in, he's prioritizing the PK. Simple as that. He has to have X number of forwards to go out there and kill penalties. And if these players are good at it, which Jankowski has been, Rodriguez can be. I'm not 100% sold on him in that regard. Uh, McCann can be. If these guys can be good PK guys and they can take some of the burden off of, say, Brian Rust being on your penalty-killing unit and blocking shots when he's a 30-goal scorer now. Uh, Do you really want Jake Gensel killing penalties? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's been tried, but do you really want it? Uh, These are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. These are the decisions that are made, but they're made almost entirely from a PK prism. I don't mean to duck your question. I don't think the Penguins have regressed on the bottom six, if you want me to answer it directly. I would just like to see Sam Lafferty crack this top 12. I didn't even mention Colton Sevier. That was a mistake. Sevier is the other uh, player that was acquired in the Hornquist deal from the Panthers. He's also a PK guy. It's, it's basically what he does. So they've got themselves a handful of these guys. I would rather not see young players who are ready to make a broader impact like a Lafferty, maybe even like a Samuel Poulin. I'd rather not see them get benched in favor of PK guys, but I also know what the head coach's priority is. Thanks so much for the question. That was good stuff, Will. And thanks to everyone for listening today.